Ahoy! And welcome to the Sea Captain Way podcast with Phil Bender and Greg Patton, where we help listeners navigate the uncharted waters, personal and professional growth. The Sea Captain Way is about energizing top performers to take on risks and push beyond their comfort zone to pursue life-changing goals and achieve peak performance. We're going to help you build your vision by showing you how to break free of boundaries that are holding you back. Okay, Phil, so today we're thrilled to welcome our special guest, Rabbi Daniel Cohen. Rabbi Cohen has served in the rabbi for over 30 years and currently serves as a spiritual leader of Congregation Agudeth Shalom in Stamford, Connecticut. It's the largest modern Orthodox synagogue in New England. He's a nationally recognized motivational speaker and published author of two books. Most recently, What Will They Say About You When You Are Gone? Creating a Life of Legacy. I'm really looking forward to discussing some of the topics in the book today. So Phil and Rabbi Cohen, how did your paths cross and why did you decide to start collaborating together? Well, (laughs) first of all, I was just about to say, and dear friend of mine, but welcome uh, Rabbi Cohen to the Sea Captain podcast. Uh, uh, We're excited to have you as a guest today and uh, look forward to uh, having you enlighten us on uh, many of your experiences and topics. Rabbi Cohen and I met through a mutual friend Hmm. who introduced us and in particular around uh, potential speaking engagement that he did with my, with my organization Mm -hmm. that was outstanding and inspiring. And I got so much good feedback on it. I said, I better keep this guy as a friend. (laughs) And I'm kidding, but as I transitioned into my coaching practice, uh, Rabbi Cohen and I stayed in touch. We got together uh, periodically and built a wonderful relationship. And it's nice to have him connected to us. And and, uh, it's been a pleasure. Is that kind of how you remember it? (laughs) Thank you. Everything that you said is true. (laughs) You know, first of all, I appreciate the opportunity. We both love uh, Sandy, who's a close friend, and to be able to speak to uh, the individuals. uh, at your firm was very inspiring. It came from the heart and believe went into people's hearts as well. And I cherish our friendship, you know, the meals together, the time together, we are kindred spirits. And although we only know each other for a number of years, I feel like our missions have aligned over a lifetime. Oh, so well said and uh, could not agree more. So uh, Greg, uh, awesome. you're in charge. So take yeah, it from yeah. here. Uh, so Rabbi Cohen, in your new book, well, they say about you when you were gone, you cover what you call seven transformative principles. And you say these seven principles are designed to reverse engineer your life so that you're living with purpose and the person you are today more closely aligns with the person you aspire to be. How did you come up with this type of framework for the book? Well, I would say it really relates to both a personal event in my life as well as professionally as well. So I always grew up with a strong sense from both my mother and father that life has meaning to live with a sense of gratitude every day, and a sense that we're here for a mission. That was something that was not only plugged into me explicitly, but implicitly my parents are purpose-driven people. However, I was 44 years old, she had a brain injury, and within 48 hours, she passed away. My whole life turned around. And I really appreciate even more so the fragility of life and that life can change in an instant. And then when I got to the same age as my mother, I always knew that she was young, but I began to ask myself the question, am I doing the most 
with the life that God has given me to really try to leave this world a better place. And that emotion also coincided with where oftentimes I think it's little, and it's in those moments of awakening that people all get serious about life. Mm-hmm. But the challenge is not in that moment of awakening to get serious, but how do we lead our life tapped into that higher frequency that every encounter can be eternal and that every moment is something to be grateful for on a consistent basis. So that really formed the premise of the book, uh, which what I try to do is I help people identify what is your best self? What is the kind of life that you want to lead? Asking really important questions. How do you want to be remembered? What five words describe you? And then I take them on a journey of seven principles to reverse engineer their lives so they lead the lives now for how they want to be remembered. So as you mentioned in the book, first step in the journey to fulfillment is to reverse engineer, as you shared, your life to develop a prototype. You go on to say that this prototype is the foundation for establishing spiritual greatness and a life of impact. Can you expand on this uh, and maybe share, explain why this type of inner reflection is so important? Sure. First of all, I believe very strongly that every human being has inside of them an inner voice that wants meaning, that wants purpose. And oftentimes we are so distracted by noise that's outside of us we don't have the ability to really tap into what do we want out of life. You ask anybody at the end of life, like, what do you want to be remembered for? They'll say, well, I want to be remembered as a good parent, as a friend, as a person of honesty. The problem is, though, is sometimes we're moving so fast, we may think that we're actually being productive, but we're lacking a sense of purpose. So if somebody doesn't really know where they want to go, it's very hard to get there. Somebody has a financial portfolio. I would venture most people check their stocks once a day, multiple times a day, (laughs) because you want to make sure you're successful. You're trying to get healthy. You're going to check yourself. What are you eating? How are you exercising? But we don't spend as much time when it comes to the nature of who we are and who we want to be. So my goal is to help people really create a What is your portfolio? What is the kind of life you want to lead? And then the first step is really self-reflection. On a daily basis, if not on a weekly basis, taking what I call a spiritual accounting and alignment. Mm-hmm. You would not drive a car if you didn't align your car. Well, everybody has a body and a soul. Well, the mystics say the body is compared to the horse and the soul is compared to the jockey. And the question is, who's leading who? Is the jockey leading the horse or is the horse leading the jockey? We shouldn't wait till a moment we're about to go to a cliff to figure out who's leading who. Let's take the gift of every day to make sure that it's our soul that's driving our body and not our body that's driving our soul. Wow, it's so well put. Yeah, wow. I, excellent. I love Thank the you. analogy with the horse and the jockey uh, on the heels yeah. of Rich Strike. That, uh was an awesome story in the Kentucky Derby and uh, seemed to be uh, yeah. quite a great teamwork. So you introduced the concept of what you refer to as discovering your Elijah moment in your book. And you explain that Elijah is a biblical prophet who appears throughout history to spread light during times of darkness. Um, and you also partnered with 
Pastor Greg Dahl of Norton Presbyterian Church in Darien, Connecticut, to create the Elijah Moment campaign. And the campaign encourages people to put aside their differences and help each other anonymously. So can I ask, what is an Elijah Moment? So the best way to think about it is really to go back to a story that's always inspired me. Many people claim they could have seen Elijah. I don't know whether you guys did, but there's a beautiful story about a young man who went to a mystic and he said, I want to see Elijah the prophet. And the mystic said, if you want to see Elijah, go into the forest and there's a widow that's there with her children. Bring her food for the weekend and I promise you'll see Elijah. He goes there Friday night, Saturday, no Elijah. Finally, he comes back Sunday morning. And he says, you promised me I would see Elijah. And the mystic says to him, I want you to take food go back this weekend. And I promise you this weekend, you'll see Elijah the prophet. So it's Friday afternoon, getting close to dark. He's with an earshot of the home and he sees, he hears a child crying out to the mother. And the child says, mommy, where are we going to get food from for this weekend? And the mother turns to the child and says, just like Elijah came last week, Elijah's going to come again. And it was in that moment that he realized that he was the Elijah that this woman was waiting for. Uh Discovering your Elijah moment means that we can't change the world, but we can each change the world of one person. Uh And my goal is really to help people realize that any encounter, even as fleeting as it is, is an opportunity to share a little bit of our light and help make the world a better place. I'll give you a story and then we'll go from there. I was once speaking to a group of women up in West Hartford, Connecticut, and I asked them, tell me about one of your most inspiring moments. And a woman said to me, I was at the Big Y, uh, which is in Bishop's Corner in West Hartford. I was getting out of my car and I saw an elderly man with orthopedic shoes that were untied getting out of his car. And she said, I went over to him and I asked him, can I help you tie your shoes? And she bent down and she said with tears in her eyes, that was one of the most holy moments of my entire life. Wow. And I said to her, it was because in that moment, you were the person that that individual needed most. Mark Twain said the most important days of our life are the day when we're born and the day we understand why. And I believe that when we walk into a room there's somebody there that we need to share a little bit of our light with. And a life of legacy is not made up of big moments. It's made up of small moments where we truly can help bring a little bit of light to somebody's life. And the major moments that we discover, the better this world will be. I mean, our campaign was really with the premise that in a world filled with violence, and I think about that just given the recent shootings, we can't change the world, but if we fill the world with acts of kindness, Hopefully that will overwhelm a world that sometimes, unfortunately, is filled with too much violence. Yeah, that's That's, awesome. uh, Yeah, it really is something. And uh, I always enjoy spending time with you because one is your ability to share a a story and uh, just make it stick. It's just so impressive, but it's always moving and it's always it touches me. You just are such a terrific leader. And uh, I appreciate everything you said there uh, a great deal. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's in my heart. If I can just share one other story with you, you know, one of the things that the Reverend and I did was we created a Facebook page called Elijah Moment. And we asked people to post your Elijah moments. And sometimes we may put an act of kindness into the world and we don't really know how it's going to play out in the universe. And one of the most uh, inspiring moments for me was when a woman said, I am a NODA nurse at Stanford Hospital. And I don't know if you guys know what the word NODA is. NODA is no one dies alone. And this is what she wrote. I'm a NODA nurse at Stanford Hospital. She said, we are with patients at the very end of their lives who don't have love with them. And she said, I was with a patient who was cognitively disabled. At my first visit, he was awake and I fell him vanilla ice cream. By the last visit, he was heavily sedated and nearing the end of his life. I held his hand and somehow felt even more connected to this patient than to others I had sat with. A few weeks ago, I shared my experience with my family, and I found out that this gentleman's father was the doctor who delivered me in Stanford Hospital in 1956. His father was there to help my arrival into the world, and I was there to help with his departure 58 years later. Wow. That was my Elijah moment. Wow. That is something. So uh, in your book, you share a story about Alfred Nobel and how he purposely created his legacy. I was not familiar with his life story, but I found it fascinating to read about. Can you please share a story you tell about him and explain why you wanted to include it in your book? Sure. The story is about Alfred Nobel. It was a morning after his brother had passed away, and he opened up the newspaper, and rather than see an obituary about his brother, he saw an obituary about himself. Oh, God. He didn't like what he saw. He said, in there, (laughs) we're sorry to announce the passing of the doctor of dynamite, the purveyor of death in the world. And in that moment, he asked himself, is this the way I want to be remembered? Do I want to be remembered for just a person who accumulated wealth or for making the world a better place? And rather than let that awakening, which we all have, go in one ear and out the other, in that moment, he decided to endow the Nobel Prize for which generations have been the beneficiaries. So I use that story as somebody who actually took what I call an inner earthquake, a confrontation with their mortality and truly transform their lives, not only in that moment, but truly changed the trajectory of their life and impacted so many others as a result of that awakening. Wow. Well, he did such a great job of changing his legacy. I had no idea he invented dynamite. I just think of the, the prize and all the, yeah, I know that all, is amazing. You're right. <laughs> all the uh, prestige that goes with it. Yeah, oh right. My gosh. Yes. I think I might have a coronary event if I woke up and saw my own obituary <laughs> and they could just <laughs> run with it. I mean, the truth is, I have to say, I, I'll tell you something. I mean, I'll say, say something very sobering. I mean, in my book, I talk about this. Uh, one of the greatest philanthropists of the 19th century was a Baron Rothschild. Mm-hmm. You probably heard the name. Sure. Very philanthropic all over. And uh, he once had a fellow at his uh, estate and he said, as they were walking in this beautiful garden. He said, I want to take you to my office. I've never let anybody in the office other than a couple other people. So he opens this door to the small cottage in his backyard. 
And when the fellow opens up the door, he's shocked by what he sees. It's a picture. It's actually not a picture. It's a room that has in it a coffin and shrouds. And Baron Rothschild said, I'm a person who has a very unique ability wealth-wise. I meet with dignitaries, diplomats all the time. But I always make sure that I never let it get to my head. And every day I put on these burial shrouds and I sit in the coffin for 30 minutes thinking about my life, what it really means, maintaining my sense of humility, and then I'm ready to go back into the world. Now, I'm not suggesting that we have that graphic confrontation with our mortality, but a person who's on the verge of drowning and takes their first breath of air, they are so grateful for every single gift of every breath. And if we can lead our life with even some semblance of that joy, of that exhilaration, of that sense that my life has meaning, our lives will be truly transformative for everyone around us and certainly for ourselves. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Greg, you see why I like this guy now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the, yeah, those big life event moments do give you that self-reflection. Um, Phil knows that I had, my older brother passed away uh, about a month and a yeah. half ago, and he was a, a, ran a nonprofit. It was a children's ad, advocacy organization. And on the social media post where his organization announced it, one of the um, first comments came from the CEO of the, the Children's Defense Fund. And it said, um, the children of Missouri had no finer champion than Rich Patton. And it was just wow. very moving. And another one of my siblings, who's a very successful um, financial advisor in Los Angeles, he went, you know, he came in town and we um, had a memorial service, but he said he went back and he was really thinking about what he was, you know, what he was doing every day and who who he was serving. And uh, he said it was, you know, that kind of moment that kind of caused him to reflect. And he's not a guy that does a lot of reflection film. No, that's a great example of what you shared, for sure. That's yeah, exactly what it's all Steve about. Ahead kind of guy. Um, yeah. So Rabbi Cohen, I enjoyed watching um, one of your online presentations where you say, you know, we often wonder where time went and that time can't be stopped, but it, it can be slowed down. And I met one of Phil's managing partner clients who said, sometime you have to slow down to go faster. So can you explain what you mean by that, that you can slow down time? Yeah, I mean, what I like to say oftentimes is sometimes people live with uh, any disease and sometimes they live with Paul McCartney disease. We'll start with Paul McCartney. You ask them how they're doing and all they can say is, yesterday, all my troubles <laughs> seem so far away. And they're filled with those words of I could have, I should have, and it's all a life of regret. And some people, you ask them how they're doing and all they can think about is, Tomorrow, tomorrow, things will be better tomorrow. The problem is they're missing the moment right now. Mm. And what I mean by this, and this, by the way, is a eternal mystical concept to realize that the only moment that we actually have is the moment that we are experiencing right now. I can't think about tomorrow or even an hour from now or regret in the past without actually squandering the moment that is in front of me right now. And if we're fully present, for example, you meet somebody, 
I was actually doing a funeral yesterday, and one of the character traits they spoke about this person, he was 92 years old, is that he was a great listener. When he asked people how they were doing, he actually listened. It wasn't like he was thinking about what he wanted to say in response before that person concluded. And that's a person of deep presence. You know, there's a phrase, I think it's by Dr. Seuss, who said, we never know the value of a moment until it becomes a memory. Mm -hmm. And memories are truly created when we feel truly present with someone that we love or we care about. Um, and that's one of the secrets to leading a, a life of legacy is to be as fully present in those moments. And that's, by the way, no matter how busy we are. I learned this when I was in speech class at Yeshiva University. My teacher said to me, one of the most important tools in life is to compartmentalize your mind. If you're trying to write something and you're distracted and you're just thinking about something else, you can spend five hours trying to accomplish something, which you could have accomplished in 60 minutes of uninterrupted present time. So to mm -hmm. me, that's one of the most valuable tools for not only self-reflection, but for actually creating enduring relationships and memories and meaning in our lives as well. That's awesome. That so that is one of the Sea Captain's superpowers. Is uh, Phil actually has a <laughs> he is listening. a super guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, Phil has a listening coach. I had never heard of that. And when we we reconnected uh, a couple of years ago, he was sharing some of the importance of that. And Phil knows I'm from a family of ten kids, so I'm always just waiting for my turn to talk. So I'll I'll sit there and then get after. But I've he will record some of our meetings and I really have learned, uh, you know, kind of following his lead, the importance of, of really listening and being present. Well, you, you worked on this too. And I, I want to give you credit and have worked on it. Yeah. I worked with the listening coach for 15 years. Wow. And I, it's because I kept failing the course, but the, uh, <laughs> but, but all kidding aside, it, it just, it just changes your whole perspective and you're able to, to stay present, you know, in my coaching certification, we talked about presence coaching. And so it's just a big part of that. So I appreciate you sharing that. I'm going to shift gears a little bit because Greg mentioned uh, uh, he's one of 10. Rabbi Cohen, you know, you uh, you have six daughters. I do. Hi, oh, right. <laughs> and that's a lot of weddings. And, uh, oh, yeah. and two two grandkids. I know one of your daughters was recently married. Congratulations. Thank you. I've heard you say that everybody has the capacity to leave a mark on this world, to enrich their life, and now lead a, a life of inspiration. How do you discuss the concept of leading, leaving a legacy and what, what your family's legacy will be with your children? That's a great question. I mean, we are truly blessed. We've actually had three weddings in the past 10 months, believe it or not. So there's a lot of joy, thank God. And yeah. my wife and I speak about that a little bit because you know, I think about my own life and I don't remember much that my parents actually told me, but I'll never forget how they made me feel. I'll never forget how they really brought me into their mission. My parents were very involved in Jewish communal life and welcoming people to their home. I remember as a kid, it was the 1970s, which was a time when there was rallies for Soviet Jewry. It was a time when you couldn't practice religion freely 
in the former Soviet Union. Hmm. And I remember holding my father's hand, going to a rally. And I don't remember anything that was said, but I remember the feeling and the singing. And my goal with my wife has always been to try to create positive, uplifting experiences for our children. So they feel they're part of a mission. They feel that they have a certain unique imprint that they can make on the world that is uniquely different than any other human being that has ever existed. And they embrace that mission. And we pray a lot, as I'm sure you do. I pray three times a day that my children should listen to their inner voices in the right way. You can be the best parents in the world, but there's no guarantees. But we do have to create the space for them, the love for them. I mean, we have children also. I'm sure you felt this. Like you have the first kid, you think they're all going to be carbon copies. And we found out that they're not. You know, King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said, educate every child according to their way. Find out what makes them tick. Help them find their passion and then channel that in the service of God, community, and the world around them. And I think that's always been our goal to help our kids, number one, feel very grateful. I learned something, you know, my daughter, I only learned this, it's in the book, but on national radio where she called into a radio show and I happened to call her and she said, I can't talk to you right now. I'm on hold on this radio show. And so I hung up and I turned on the radio and she's on the radio. It happens to be the happiness hour. And uh, this fellow says, it's Dennis Prager at the time. He says, Sarah, what do you do to maintain your happiness in life? Now, I had no idea my daughter was doing this. This is the daughter named after my mom who passed away at 44. And she said to him, I keep a gratitude journal. Every day I write down something that I'm grateful for. And then she said, astonishingly, I never repeat myself. See, it's one thing to say at the end of the day, I'm happy I'm alive, I'm happy I'm alive. But if you don't repeat yourself, we're forced to look at new things in our life to be grateful for. And at the time, she was up to almost 800 of them. Oh my God. She said, Every day I read 50. How can I not be happy and grateful every day? So that's something that oh. I never told her to do. But my wife and I were, wow, we do try to say thank God alive. We do try to be grateful and You know, our hope and prayer is ultimately for all of us. If we model lives of legacy, if we expose our children and families to what it means to live a life of greater impact, of kindness without any expectation of reciprocity, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. We live in a very transactional world. But if we model and say, you know what, I'm just here to put out good vibes, our children will catch that. They'll be captivated by that. And I think, you know, hopefully they'll, uh, embrace that sense of purpose and mission that we have as well. Wow. That That is awesome. My sister is um, adopting a baby and she has an eight-year-old third grader. And she told me that she was keeping a journal about getting a new sibling uh, when I was over there. This was last 4th of July. And she kind of was showing it to me. So I just took a a quick look. But one of the things she had written uh, for her new sibling is she said, when you get here, my mom and dad are going to do so many nice things for you. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I can't take That's it. That's great. Vivian, I, yeah. I Sweet. know. Well, and, and you know, my, one of my mottos or mantras, if you will, is, uh, you know, children don't listen to a word you say, but they watch every move you make. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's so true. And, and it is a, uh, 
And that is when that comes around and you start to see it play out in real time, man, is that moving? Mm-hmm. It is, uh, you almost mm-hmm. sit there and go, holy cow. I yeah. remember when I said that. Mm-hmm. I, the quick, funny aside is whenever I, unlike the guy in the progressive commercial, I always find out the waiter's name when I go to the restaurant. <laughs> and I used to do that all the time. Always got my table, you know, never had to slip at somebody uh, uh, 20 or 100 to get a table. <laughs> but they always knew me and then they always knew me the next time. My kids hated that when I did it. They hated it. And now to watch them actually do it, it is really something. It's something special. So, you know, as uh, Greg, I guess we probably ought to uh, put a wrap on this. Yeah, I I did have one more question, if that's cool. Sure. So you had mentioned in your book that you met with, you know, some celebrities to get their insights about leaving a legacy and included some of those reflections in your book. So which celebrities' comments, can I ask, had some insights that stood out for you? Um, well, a lot. I think that um, Ron Howard was really a wonderful interview. He actually lives in Greenwich part of the time. It was not easy to speak to him, but he's very um, enamored and deeply respected his parents. He's a very upbeat guy. You can tell by yeah. his films. He's, he's like cool. a very happy-go-lucky. Yeah, yeah, and he really talked about how his mother was such a deep influence on him. And she would always say like, this is the greatest day, like very positive. And um, you could see like where he got his just optimistic spirit from. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, another person who's a close friend and I admire him deeply is Senator Joe Lieberman. He's a member of our synagogue. He actually grew up in our synagogue. Huh. And I used his quotes on the chapter about courageous choices. And this is something that really has a lot to do with life, but particularly in the world of business and finance in general, which is we have so many moments in our life when we are challenged morally. And the question is, do we make decisions based on convenience or based on conviction? Do we make them based on pleasure or based on principle? And in the chapter, I really try to help cultivate a person's sense of what are the values that drive us? Because the person doesn't know what their values are, then every decision becomes negotiable. Hmm. If somebody has a clear sense of this is who I am and this is what I stand for, then either it fits into that framework or it doesn't fit into that framework. And Senator Lieberman, I've always felt, was a person of deep moral courage. Certainly wasn't easy for him as a Sabbath observant Jew to run for the vice presidency. And I just want to share the quote that he shared with me. He said, When I decide a course of action, It is not for fear of failure. If I lose because I stood for my beliefs, I will always be at peace. I never want to be remembered for playing life safe. I want to be remembered for doing what was right. And that's, I think, something that we all aspire to and hopefully can live up to every day. Yeah, that's terrific. And uh, I guess as we we move to close today, I... uh, you know, I want to share a couple of quick things. Number one is uh, for those of you who are on today, uh, what will they say about you when you are gone? Creating a life of legacy. That's the book. In addition to that, I'm very excited to report that uh, Rabbi Cohen and I are in discussion about developing a curriculum around uh, leadership development and uh, growth. 
that includes the Elijah moments and uh, among other things that were mentioned on the podcast. And I'm very excited about the progress we are making there. So stay tuned. And uh, with that, uh, Greg, any final thoughts before we No, this was a a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate uh, you sharing all of the, your, your great stories. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing what you and Phil come up with together. Sign me up. I need more of that good mojo. Well, I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak today and also for uh, the partnership and friendship and Phil as excited as you are. I'm excited too. God brought us together. Um, And the more light that we can uh, reveal in the world and share, I think we'll all, uh, really help try to make this world a much better place. So uh, this was a divine podcast on the sea captain. And I appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you, my friend. Uh, We'll talk soon and uh, job well done. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Sea Captain Way podcast. If you found the conversation valuable, please like, share, and post a review on your favorite podcast app. To learn more about Sea Captain Coaching and how you can start taking advantage of our purpose-driven coaching guidance, visit us at seacaptaincoaching.com and get the Sea Captain's view on navigating uncharted waters of growth. The link is in the show notes. You can also follow us at Sea Captain Coaching on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Wishing you fair winds and a following sea on your journey. 